curious if anyone knows who this is. This is like me being a teacher all of a sudden, which I would apologize for. Uh, this is a picture of Dorothy Day. Uh, if Dorothy Day co-founded what was called the Catholic Worker Movement in New York City in 1933. Uh, this movement was a combination of pacifism. Oh, I'm in the way, aren't I? I can see too many heads. No, no, it's fine. I, I've spent a lifetime being in the way of things. <laughs> there we go, that's better. Just squat the whole time. Yeah, great. I am recording this, so I might edit this. Okay, um, so Dorothy Day co-founded what was called the Catholic Worker Movement, which was a combination of pacifism and civil disobedience, along with aid for the poor and non-violent action for the homeless. Dorothy Day lived a life of daily direct contact with the profoundly poor and destitute. And she's been considered by many people as a political radical. She didn't just practice hospitality and charity, but she campaigned against war and against the unequal distribution of wealth. She was put in prison a number of times, as early as 20 years old when she was campaigning for the right of women to vote. In her 50s, when she refused to take part in exercises around the atomic bomb in New York City. And even in her 70s, um, campaigning for the rights of farm laborers, which is purely, you know, really relevant given what we were just talking about. Um, and the reason that I've been thinking about Day is because she writes a lot when she's in prison. Um, she wrote a series of short articles which were called Visiting the Prisoner. And um, for those who don't know, I've been doing some work with prisoner education. I'm actually meeting with the commissioner on Wednesday. And I've been thinking about what, um, what our obligations are to those who are incarcerated. But as I was reading these uh, articles that she wrote, I was struck by the way that she talks about mourning. So today we're looking at that beatitude, which is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what Day wrote, and the reason that I wanted to start with her, is it's really helped me understand something about that blessing. Um, so if you go to the next slide, Matt. So in visiting the prisoner, Dorothy Day describes arriving at the New York Women's House of Detention. It's the only prison of its kind. It's 13 stories high. It's famous because the women used to be able to call out to people on the street as they walked past. And Day was imprisoned with two fellow protesters. She records how loud it is inside. And as she and her friends arrive for processing on the seventh floor, they're surrounded by a group of women, of incarcerated women. And one of those women, whom Day learns later is called Jackie, clutches and yells at another one of the protesters, uh, a young woman called Judith, who was an actor. And Jackie is calling out saying, put her in my cell and let me have her. Dorothy Day steps in and, and forcefully demands to have Judith safe in her cell, away from the threat of Jackie and her advances. But as she's locked in her cell, Dorothy Day reflects on these words. Um, and this is Catherine of Siena, who's a 14th century martyr who writes, I have placed you in the midst of your fellows so that you may do for them what you cannot do for me. That is to say that you may love your neighbors without expecting any return from them. And what you do to them, I count as done to me. And reading Dorothy Day's reflection on this really messed with my head because she wonders, had, had I jeopardized my chance 
to love this prisoner, this Jackie, this young woman who seemed so threatening and dangerous. Uh, and this is what she writes in this next slide. She writes, I found it hard to excuse myself for my own immediate harsh reaction. It's all very well to hate the sin and love the sinner in theory, but it's hard to do it in practice. By my rejection of the kind of welcome we received, I had of course protected Judith, but there was no expression of loving friendship in it toward the others. Lying there on my hard bed, I mourned to myself, Jesus is this unfortunate girl, Jackie, who is making advances. So what day was mourning here? And she uses the word mourning. Was her inability to love like Christ, but also just how hard it can be to love like Christ in those kinds of moments. It's also a mourning for Jackie, who is a woman whom Dorothy Day in everyday life would have encountered and would have treated with deep compassion and kindness. Her mourning is deeply connected to her understanding of who she wishes she to be, who, who she desires to be, and her failure to live up to that. She is mourning what she sees as a failure to love like Christ, and a failure to love the Christ who is in her midst. So later, Day tells the sad and I think really familiar story about what happens to Jackie, this prisoner. She leaves prison, she tries to kill herself, she ends up in a psychiatric ward, and then later she returns to the exact same prison. Um, and for those of you who know, this cycle of reoffending is about 50% of all of our prisoners do this. What might have happened, Day wonders, if she had acted out of love first and not fear? And I think I have had this thought so many times. What would have happened? So this is Dorothy Day again. She says this. Yes, we fail in love. We make judgments and we fail to see that we are all brothers. We are all seeking love, seeking God. If only our love had been stronger and truer, casting out fear, I would have not taken the stand I did. I would have seen Christ in Jackie. Suppose Judith had been her soulmate for the night, and suppose she had been able to convey a little of the strong, pure love. Perhaps, perhaps. Thank God for retroactive prayer. St. Paul said that he did not judge himself, nor must we. We can turn to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already repaired the greatest evil that ever happened or could ever happen, and trust that he will make up for our faults, for our neglects, for our failures to love. And I just love this, and it really struck me, and I, kind of, I don't know if I know the answer, I don't know if there was a right way, but Dorothy Day's mourning in prison, and this eventual comfort in the promise of God's grace, is, I think, a beautiful picture of this second blessing in the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. In this way, mourning is not just tears or grief, but it's a kind of radical self-honesty. Things are not as they should be. I'm not as I should be. Um, one writer translates it as this. Joyful are those who are deeply saddened to the point of action, for they will be comforted. So I just wanted to open with this reflection, and maybe this is kind of the thing that I would ask from members of our congregation as well. Um, but I wonder if you've ever mourned like this mourned for a missed opportunity for kindness and love. 
mourned because something about our world is profoundly wrong and mourned in a way that then led you to remember that God is gracious, but also that our involvement in God's kingdom priorities um, includes action against the brokenness of our world. Now, next slide, man. I feel like I'm just going to keep moving around. Before I move on, um, I was talking to Jamie about this, and I think that mourning, as it's really clearly understood, and how we would probably naturally understand it, is as grief, and probably grief over um, those who have died. And this is real in our community right now. This is real for us so often. And I wanted to clarify here that there is often mourning for which there is very little comfort. There is um, sometimes not a great deal to do but grieve. Often mourning the loss of a loved one is experienced as um, fear, an overwhelming sense of absence, loneliness. Um, but even here there is comfort. As kingdom people, we know that there is nothing evil about sorrow, right? There is nothing wrong about tears. This is George MacDonald um, with, a, with a beard to look forward to. That's how I um, And he was intimately aware of grief. He actually lost three of his children while he was still living. And he says that a person in sorrow is in general far nearer God than a person in joy. Gladness may make us forget our thanksgiving. Misery drives us to prayer. For we are not yet we are only becoming. To mourn is not to fight with evil, it is only to miss that which is good. And I think this is so important to articulate at this moment, because God's kingdom is full of people who are mourning, who miss those things in their lives which were good, those people in their lives for which there was great joy. And full of people who do not yet know that fullness of joy that comes when all mourning is ended and all pain is stripped away. The comfort for those of us who are mourning like this is not just future hope, I don't think. Very often that's how it's framed, right? Just, you know, God will be good at the end of all things. But I think that in the midst there is communion with God, right? Who is as near to us as a brother along dark roads. There is the embrace of our community who mourn with us and for us and offer no resolution but just love. To love like Jesus, I think, is to be vulnerable to sorrow. Things are not yet as they one day will be. Again, I was talking to Jamie about this. There's something sacred about mourning. It reveals to us how deeply we do love and how full our loss is. Our comfort comes from a king who loved in the exact same way who loved even when he was despised, even as his love was rejected, even as he, that love was hung on a tree. And we remember that love overcame death. Love, like Christ's, is transforming our communities and our world. And I pray that our mourning and our awareness of those among us who are mourning would be productive of more love, and that those who are mourning now would know God's comfort, who is with them, always all right so this is the next idea in in doing some research for this sermon i came across this fabulous character called clarence jordan who was an american farmer obviously farming is on my mind um 
And he was a New Testament scholar. And he rewrote the whole Gospel of Matthew as if Christ had come into rural Georgia, Georgia, um, during the period of racial segregation. Uh, and he rewrote the version of the blessing as this. They... Oh, no, you're right. Oh, the next slide is definitely gone. Um, they who are deeply concerned are God's people, for they will see their ideas become reality. I really love, I really love this. A mourner is not just somebody, or not necessarily someone who weeps. They're people who express deep concern. In this picture of mourning, there is, of course, space and probably expectation of grief. Right? If someone whom we are concerned about, someone whom we love, whom whose our, our lives are invested with, if they die, then that mourning might be expressed in grief and tears. Grief like this is always tied to love, love for something that is now lacking, an absence where before there was presence. And all of the commentaries I've read so far in the Beatitudes see this line, this idea of mourning, in light of Isaiah 61 which Jesus himself reads in the Nazareth synagogue in Luke at the very beginning of his ministry. Now, I, I saw what happened to it on this next slide. See quickly if I can fix it. Well, it's probably not a great problem. I could, people know this, and if you don't know it, I will read it, and you will know it after that. Um, yeah, you can just put it up, Matt, it's fine. He says this. This is out of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. So in this passage, mourning is not just um, grief, it is understood as deep sadness or loss, and also as mourning over the plight of others. Joyful are those who are saddened to the point of action. I love that. For they will be comforted by a God whose kingdom is full of good news for the poor, right? Those who are deeply concerned are God's people. I love that. For their hearts are like God's heart and their, Christ is, their, their sadness is like Christ's sadness. Deep concern is not just expressed through tears, but through prayer or through radical love. Here we return to that opening story of Dorothy Day's mourning in prison. She was a woman whose whole life um, had been deeply concerned with the plight of women like Jackie. She was poor and broken, despised, incarcerated, and Day mourned for her and the state of her life. Dorothy Day's mourning was also over her inability to love, her failure to show kindness, to extend love and hospitality. And so I was thinking, okay, so the comfort for those of us who grieve, that's clear. And the comfort for living and loving like Christ is clear. But what is the comfort for those of us who don't love like we want to love? Well, first and foremost, I should say God's kingdom is full of prisoners, um, despised and outcast people. 
If our concern is for them and for people who are similarly despised and rejected, then our comfort comes from knowing that God's kingdom is precisely for those people whom society overlooks. Second, God's grace is sufficient when we fail. Our neglected care, our failure to love, as we mourn over those moments of weakness and failure, of our sinful inaction on the part of someone who deserved our love, maybe even our intentional withholding of kindness or our neglect to show grace, as we mourn over those things, I think that we're reminded of who we are called to be, right? We're called to be deeper, um, more deeply transformed into the people of Christ. Okay, so I've, I've spoken about mourning as a concern for those that we've lost. I've spoken about mourning as grief over missed opportunities for love. And so finally, there is one other kind of mourning, and that is the mourning for a world that is broken and for which we are called into action. The people of God are those who are deeply concerned, joyful are those who are saddened into action. In this beatitude, I think that Jesus is telling us in his upside-down way that we will see the kingdom come and no comfort as we are grieved into action. We will see his kingdom come as we do without those things that the world tells us to idolize, right? Progress, power, prosperity, momentary satisfaction. Um, this is got a lot of old folk for some reason. Hey. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's older than you. <laughs> well, was. Um, he says that the disciple community does not shake off sorrow as though it were no concern of its own, but willingly bears it. And in this way, they show how close are the bonds with, uh, which bind them to the rest of humanity. People of the kingdom like us, rather than be suspicious of mourning, rather than believe that we should be afraid of grieving, um, rather than thinking that we should forget suffering, we're actually called to bear the suffering of the world. Christ on the cross is a picture of a God who bears our brokenness, who loves us and dies for us. And to model that kind of love is similarly to bear with our world in its brokenness, to be saddened, to be grieved, to mourn for a world that is profoundly messed up, and then go ahead and get into those spaces where love can make a way. To be the hands, right, and hearts of comfort for the poor for the broken, for the outcast, for the mourning, the despised, the grieved. This is the radical nature of the Beatitudes. This is a picture of God's people. So I wrote this and I was thinking, okay, what are God's people according to this line, this one line? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay, and this is my summation. And maybe hear it and think of it and pick something that, that uh, strikes you. So God's people, we are not free from mourning, which sucks. We will mourn deeply because we love deeply. And we will know the profound pain of absence and loss. And in that, we're comforted by a God who is our companion. So I ask, have, have you known that comfort? As God's people, we will mourn often for the ways that we have not loved for the ways that we have missed opportunities to extend kindness and grace and hope. This morning comes out of our radical self-honesty that knows I'm, I'm being perfected, I'm being made new. I am becoming more like Christ. And in this, we're comforted by God's grace 
who saved us and always extends a hand to put us back on that path of righteousness. So I ask again, have, have you known that morning and the comfort of a graceful God? As God's people, we will also mourn with one another for the state of a world that is corrupted by inequality and injustice. Our sadness is met by the comfort of a God who is setting things right and an eternal hope of life one day without mourning. But our sadness and that future hope also breeds action. And that's where the comfort is found in setting injustice right, in seeing God's kingdom here as it is in heaven, right? So the question is, do you mourn for the world? Do we mourn for our world? And do we mourn or are we grieved into action? And as God's people, we also mourn for those who experience inequality and injustice. We comfort them by bearing their brokenness, by seeing them as Christ among us, by loving them as our brothers and sisters. And comfort, this comfort is costly, actually, because it's a rejection of the comfort of the world. And instead, it's a willingness to bear the cost of radical love. So then, I guess, for our community, do we mourn with broken people? And do we comfort with radical love? If you remember last week, I, I, I opened by saying that the Beatitudes are not an analysis of the world as it is, but they're an announcement of God's kingdom. And so when I look at my life and when I look at my choices and my priorities and my hopes, I ask, does it announce this kind of kingdom? Does it reflect this picture of God's people? Do I mourn my failures of love? Do I turn to God to pursue his love for the world? Am I one of those people who is concerned with the brokenness of the world? Am I one of those who comforts those who mourn? Is this, you know, is this good news, good news for me? Do I hear it as good news? And how might my life and my community be marked by sadness and injustice and concern for our world and mourning for my inaction? How might I seek God's comfort and be moved into loving action for others? Those are my questions. That was what my heart was. And I don't have answers, um, but I know that that's precisely what we do in community, is that we ask ourselves these very things.